Today's episode of Art of the Cut is sponsored by ncrawl.com. ncrawl is the web-based platform for managing and rendering end credits, used by over 1,000 film productions, including 42 films at this year's Sundance 2020 Film Festival. Sign up today at ncrawl.com AOTC. Hello, and welcome to Art of the Cut's Voices from Sundance. My name is Steve Hullfish. I'm a film editor, and I interview my colleagues in film and TV. Today's Voices from Sundance is writer, director, and editor Adam Raymeyer. His previous credits include films like The Bunny Game, Jonas, and Big Sur. He is currently directing, producing, DPing, and editing the film Elegy for an American Dream. At this year's Sundance, he wrote, directed, and edited the film Dinner in America, which the Sundance programmer introduced at the premiere as the most punk movie ever. My interview started at Sundance in person and wrapped up on Skype. The movie opens with some great sound design. Yeah, it does. Tell um, me a little bit about that. Colin Alexander is our sound designer, and he, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, just, you know, we did some stuff, some manipulations of... Uh, just in the beginning, like, Simon's completely stoned. Like, he's on some medicine. He does these clinical trials, you know, uh, to, to pay for his punk rock stuff. And Colin really pulled off some magic there. Like, just there's there's some, you know, weird filters, weird things happening there. But, like, you know, Simon basically, it's like he's hearing everything like it's underwater, you know. And there's just some really, you know, we did a lot of uh, just sonically messing with stuff, spatially messing with stuff in the film. Um, that was probably the most that we manipulated it, though, was in that first scene. But just kind of give it like this feeling like, it's very subjective POV. You're underwater with Simon, like listening. To, actually, we pre, it's pre-lapped like probably 15 seconds as the uh, production company credits come uh, over. So you're starting to hear that world before you get to it. So when you start to when you see like you know the first shot of him and he's basically staring directly into the camera and he's he's just he's, he's drooling basically and uh the 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 sound is is kind of swirling you know this whatever he's hearing is kind of swirling around him editing wise uh, i really loved the couple of um family dinner conversations oh, yeah. yeah talk to me about like there's uh, i want to talk about two separate ones but the first right. one is just the, the where you're getting to know the family uh, right and the editing is great the reaction shots tell me how you decided where you wanted to be on and off camera. Yeah, a lot of that that sequence for me was like, it's like playing badminton with the eye lines and reactions to things. So it essentially is there's a wide there's a wide master that we're barely ever in. But because we're using anamorphic and we could really separate everyone from, you know, the background quite a bit and make it all about the actor, we centered everybody up like exactly the same and just it was just it was just like north south east west just you know cutting around the table that way and building a like the dp and i designed it that way like we locked ourselves in there wasn't gonna be another way that we shot it you know so we took a chance with it and then that could either like backfire on you and it could be super boring or you could like find those editorial like you know like uh Pat looks at Mary Lynn and then she looks it's just we were able to like play this badminton game around the table you know so that was I I love those dinners I'm glad that you brought that up like I I love how um, how we go around the table it's like nothing really complex it's all just you know it's all straight cuts and but it's all timing and the timing is super super important so you know I'm I'm a nudger and uh, 
you know, a frame fucker, you know, just like it, it gets into that, like, you know, um, really tedious stuff, but it all adds up, you know, front to back on your film, the whole, the whole thing. And there's another great dinner scene where grace is said, and you're right. almost never on the speaker. Uh, right. True. Yeah. That, that, yes. Uh, very consciously, uh, kind of working around the room as Simon speaks about each of the people. He kind of brings them all and does a little bit on each of the people. And that was the only time we went into like a super tight single. We, we, we broke our, we kind of, it's the only time in any of those dinner sequences we broke from that frame size. And now suddenly we move in closer. We started on pack coughing and then we went right to the wide. It was the same visual gag that we did. We do a lot of repetition of gags and kind of the, comedic rule of threes did a lot of stuff like that in this film like you see the cat like in the beginning where you see the the dead cat patty is playing basketball and she sees it and then later simon sees the cat and then we then we take the cat when we go later to the the scene with the bullies but it was always designed around threes and like just you know the third one being the payoff so with the dinner table thing we punched in tighter for the 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 prayer it felt like now it's really personal and we're gonna we're gonna get in closer to them and see them like just uh, with anamorphic it's it's so fun i mean just like that getting that kind of separation so um was it purely budgetary why did you choose to edit yourself i i had somebody in mind that i that i would trust um to cut ultimately i think budgetarily it made more sense for us to just get as much money on the screen as possible and then i knew i was going to take some time with the cut too i did have a pretty long editorial like we wrapped in september the end of september and and we i think june 19th the following year i had my picture lock but within that was a lot of it was the holidays it was thanksgiving it was christmas you know that kind of dead zone i have kids so we went to la we you know we relaxed at the beach at our place there and like there was there was the holidays and just like turn around for notes and stuff like you know how it is when you're working and like sometimes notes don't come back as fast as you want them to and it's a great pause for you but you know I think I I counted seven weeks of notes in there so I think my all in edit was like uh, four and a half months on the film to, to five months like uh, have you worked with an editor before no actually I haven't <laughs> I actually haven't worked with an editor before on any of my own films so. Uh, I wouldn't mind working with an editor, but um, I was surprised sometimes I've heard like editors talking about giving the the cutover showing the director for the first time. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, you mean that the director's like gone this whole time and has never seen the movie? Like, <laughs> holy shit, that's insanity. I could never do that. So I'd be, if I was working with an editor, it'd be somebody that... Um, probably works a lot quicker than I do because I'm not a super technical like person but intuitively I know what I want and it sometimes it takes me I don't <laughs> I don't use a lot of shortcuts and all that stuff I'm slower but I I kind of do other parts of it while I'm cutting you know thinking like the thinking parts because that's my job too for the you know on the directing side so without an editor what is keeping you objective and um Acting is kind of the second set of eyes that I don't, I don't, I don't know another way. So I, I, this is just what I know. This is how I make things. I started on film. So when you're cutting film, you know, and I still cut film, this is, I'm sick. You know, I, I do this nonlinear stuff, you know, in the day. And then I go cut film trailers at night, like on film, I cut a, cut my, uh, I have a bunch of 16 stuff and I like go down. That's how I relax. 
you know, cutting, cutting, uh, you know, with my splicer and stuff. I make really cool trailer reels and stuff. And on a to chem put on, or what do you use? No, it's just a Kodak, an old fashioned, you know, little dovetailer, you know, just make little dovetails, you know, and, uh, some splice tapes and little press tape, you know, I do it on that. And, uh, I don't even use a viewer. I just use, I just hold it up to the light like I, for the trailers. You know, I have features. I have like 125 features or so, 16, and I'll cut trailer reels and stuff. I'm constantly buying shit on eBay because I love, I love like, like I just bought uh, David Carradine and Claudia Jennings Death Sport the other week and Joyride. I got, you know, a couple new 16 films coming in. And then I, I try to design like, Oh, what do I want on, on, to be on the head of those reels? You know, cause I'll, I'll like take them off a 1600 footer transfer them to 2000 and build my trailer reels out, you know, maybe put a cartoon, some trailers and stuff at the head, a little PSA action, some snipes, and then <laughs> roll into the future. And I do shows in my basement that way. I do it with my kids. I, I love it. Invite friends over, you know, have a good time. I want to get back to this movie since we've got only a couple of minutes sure. left to us. Uh, in the scene in the bedroom, it's like a fever dream of them recording this song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your two main characters. Yeah. And I loved the very brave, I thought, decision to stay on her singing yeah. Almost for the entire song. There's like one yeah. cutaway maybe to, yeah. the, to... There's two, but two. But before that, the build-up to that is that additive build where we start on the drums and we keep the drums going. It was always designed editorially, pre-designed to be an additive build. Like I even did separate tracks so Kyle could listen to just drums. I, I recorded the song. So I, I did all of that ahead of time with Emily. So Emily and I laid down the drum tracks like in a studio. I recorded the drums, the guitar, the bass, myself. Emily did the the lyrics. Then I made separate outs for Kyle so he could hear just the drum track and just play that like on playback. And then drum and bass only. And then drum, bass, guitar. And then, you know, it was an additive that way. And then it was also additive when we shot it. So um, an added, additive like editorially. So you you start on the drums and it just continues, you know, the drums just continue um for the whole track then, and you just build, you put the bass on, so it's like four bars of just drums, then four bars of bass and drums, then four, you know, and then, or it was not four, but it's maybe like a bar, you know, of each, and then guitar, and then it goes to the chorus, and then it immediately cuts to a two shot of them listening to playback of what they just did, and then it gets to Emily um, performing the song. It was so important for me to give this girl a win, you know, that's the, the thing, and, and, you know, editorially, you don't want to break that. You want to hold that for the entirety of the song. First and foremost, it's not a very long song. You know, it's a very quick, you know, two-minute song. So to, to to hold on her for the whole time and let her have her moment, like it's like a slingshot. You You pull back the slingshot throughout the course of the film, and that's the moment that you let go. And when you let go, it just, you know, that that's the most beautiful part of... Uh, the film to me like that moment letting the character have a win and uh just it's it's very profound moment for me like editing i i get choked up just thinking about it i really do and did you feel like that being on that shot of her holding it so long was part of that letting go of the slingshot or Mm -hmm. yeah for her it's a release it's the first time she's ever been free you know, so just and I did like a very slow. I don't know if you could feel it, but there's just an ever so slight uh, post zoom on it. It just ever so slight. I'm thinking from 100 percent to maybe 
overall because the two shots of Simon, it might go to like 110 or 116 percent, but just ever so slight the whole time for like two minutes. So you don't feel it, but it's subliminal, like getting closer and more about her, you know. So I, that's to me was one of the most profound parts of, of this film. I've got a, a DP that calls it a Mickey Rooney, a, a little creep. Yeah, it's <laughs> a little creep. Yep. Yep. I want to ask you about one other scene. Sure. Uh, the whack-a-mole. Um, mm-hmm. The montage. The whack-a-mole date. I just love that. Talk about cutting that together and what you were building. And that's her other big day, right? That's She comes yeah, out of that scene. It she is. Goes, Yesterday was the right. best day, and now mm-hmm. today's the best day. Today's, today's even better. That's right. Um, <clears throat> I think that, you know, this movie in some ways feels like a flashback to just, it's, it has a nostalgic feel. I think the way that JP Lenz did, I think Frankie's production design. All of these things give it like a feel, like a nine, kind of an early 90s or maybe late 80s kind of vibe. Um, and what's an important part of those films is the montage sequence, you know? Like you can go to, you can go to the Karate Kid or any, you know, movies that have that. I mean, is it conscious? I don't know. But on the day at the arcade, we decided to, we, and we had, there's no slow-mo in the entire film, you know, except that scene. So we did it and uh, that, that it just really... It just really worked for me, like having um, it slow motion. It's just a beautiful. It's just a beautiful with the the Mac DeMarco song and everything. It's also did a lot of like because it's slow motion. We did the the sound design. You know, it's a lot of like kind of you know swirling atmospheric things from the from the arcade stuff. We Colin did a great job. You know, having things reverberate like a pinball ball hits. You know. What are those things called? Like a flipper or something, and and then you know, it, and it bounces off of some things. So we just we were like, we were really messing with the five one like spatially and like placing things. It was it was a lot of fun to do that. I love I love color and I love sound mix are like two of my favorite things. We'll be back in a moment with the Skype section of my interview with Dinner in America writer director editor Adam Raymeyer. I'm really excited to have End Crawl as a sponsor. If you've ever been through the end credits process in Final Post. You already know why someone had to create this product. What's interesting, though, is how they went about it. Their cloud render engine turns around preview renders in minutes and 2K and 4K renders in about half an hour. The Ncrawl render engine is on demand 24-7, so even if you're in a late-night editing session, you can sign into your project, fix that typo, and add that late-breaking special thanks, and with one click, get your new render fast. And here's the best part. Renders are unlimited. Ncrawl has a freemium tier, and they offer free personal demo projects to all working industry professionals. Right now, there's actually a wait list, but if you sign up now with our special link, you can jump to the front of the line. That's ncrawl.com AOTC. Again, that's ncrawl.com AOTC. And now, back to my interview with Dinner in America writer-director-editor Adam Raymeyer. At the end of the premiere, one of the Q&A questions was, when's the sequel? <laughs> Did that just make you feel happy? I mean, it's, it, there were a bunch of people that you just wanted to spend more time with. It does make me happy. And I, you know, I, it's, it's funny that they brought it up because I've always kind of joked that Breakfast in Canada is the obvious follow-up film for this. <laughs> and uh, I've ran scenarios in my head of what that would look like. Because, look, I, I fell in love with Patty and Simon through the process of making this film, too. Of course, there's part of me that has to decide, does it end right there? Or is there a way to, that it could keep going? Um I think in the immediate, I'll just have to see. Um, but 
uh, I mean, part of me just loves the ending so much because it just feels so complete. Like it's a complete satisfying ending where we walk away, like in, in a world where films rarely have endings anymore. It, it feels like very complete and satisfying the way that, you know, um, just how things in general wrapped out, like growing up, you know, I'm just thinking of like John Hughes movies. They always had a pretty satisfying ending, you know? Absolutely. I'm not saying it wasn't satisfying. I, I just wanted to pay tribute that uh, the audience wanted more for sure. I wanted to, I wanted to hang with Patty and Simon a little bit more too. Seriously. I, there's even the stuff that I cut out of the film, you know, I wish that it did it had a you know a place in the film but i don't i don't really believe once once you've cut something out i don't believe it should ever come back in personally that's just my own thought like most of the time when i see it i don't really typically don't like the more bloated kind of what you know a director's cut type of thing I just feel like you do things for timing purposes and rhythmical purposes and like they are what they are. I guess it's a huge compliment when you get to the end and your audience, like at least part of the audience wants more. That's a, that's a compliment to, I guess, the edit, you know? Yep. Let's take it from there. I was going to ask that as a later question, which is you wrote it, you directed it, and yet the final film is not the way you wrote it. Uh, how does that happen? And what are some of the things that had to be cut out and why? One of the great things about the producers that I worked with, especially Ross, and Dave early on is that they were going to fight for me to shoot out the film completely um, the way I had written it. So I got 25 days to do that. And it, you know, wasn't a film that we shot in 18 days or something like that. Um, I think writing and editing for me, because I do both, they kind of go hand in hand. So once when you, when you get into like, you know, there's the film that you write, the film that you shoot and the film that you edit, and they're all like totally, you know, different from each other. But a lot of the redundancies in a script, I don't think you really feel until you're in the edit room. So if anything, it helps me by cutting my own work. It helps me to sort of analyze what I have in script form and, and I try to pre-edit in my head, um, you know, going through the script, like really visualize it and pre-edit it. So it, it, it makes a huge difference. I think writing and cutting, um, just in how you, uh, how they work together just to sort of like knock out redundancies and whatnot. Like, that's what, what I really found on my first pass was just a lot of redundancies. Like I didn't need that scene anymore. I mean, they're probably the biggest darling that I killed though was a really insane dance sequence with Simon and, and he has some friends that he met up with. And, and there was a whole kind of plot point about him losing some of the money that he had. Um, but it never seemed to matter in the first act of the cut. Like, Right off the bat, we find that he didn't get the amount that he was looking for in the clinical trial study. So it didn't matter. We didn't need to see him lose money, which we already knew he didn't have the amount that he wanted. So there's just redundancies like that, that when you get to post-production, it's just very easy to isolate them and just hack them right out of, the, right out of it. But I was 
fortunate to have producers that uh, really wanted me to get the script as is in the can and make those decisions like in post. Yeah, it's just really interesting to me that for someone that writes, directs, and edits, that there's you know, obviously you thought you had a great script and you did, but then things did seem redundant only when you got to post. I think it happens on all projects just mm-hmm. for time. You yeah. know, in general, like I'd say the majority of oversights when it comes to scripts happen in the writing phase and and I, it it's more of like a, you don't really feel it feel it because there's no weight like there's no actors saying the lines there's none of that when you're you know when you're writing it um also their own rhythms like what they convey some like non-verbally like sometimes you can use you can get to the heart of a scene and just go off of somebody's reaction or a look you know like where it's not as apparent uh, when you're writing it or when you're reading it on a on the page, like there's a lot more you can do, um, like get to get in and to get out of stuff. I mean, also just compressing scenes, and you never know how the you know at the head of it, unless you're uh, a genius that's got all the music already pre-cut for the film. You don't know rhythmically what you're going to do with the score and other elements too. So. Like when you really get to, when you get to post, like anything's like up for grabs, really, like to condense or compress and or or elongate. So that's where the real magic happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonally, how much did you need to dial in the punk aspects and the brighter, happier aspects to end up with something that was not saccharine, but also wasn't too kind of uh, too punk? <laughs> I think the electro, the electronic music is a nice contrast and, and offsets sort of the punk vibe. I think the, the wrong way to make this film is to do like wall-to-wall punk music or things like that. It actually doesn't really adhere to that at all. It's very much its own sort of rhythmical animal. And, and Swihart, the composer, John Swihart, had like, um, originally I wanted to do a lot of stuff with, um, like acoustic drums, like teeing up Simon, Simon walking, like it was rhythmical in a different way with like live, like live, uh, acoustic drums and Swihart pushed to have me sort of hear it differently with like electronic stuff to, to sort of, you know, to, to counter sort of the punk vibe and I really liked the space that it created when we started experimenting and then we just kept taking melody out of this film so there was never any like anything to sort of drive like direct you on how you should feel we saved melody for like only four parts of the film so we are very specific with that and I felt like that really um, helped to, to it still has the punk. It has a punk element to it, but it's not like just wall to wall over over the top. So that 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 helps, and um, I just think the humanity that Kyle and Emily brought to Simon and Patty was the thing that helped ground it in reality and not make it too saccharine sweet. It's like it's sweet in the right places and it's salty in the right places. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's talk about one of those salty moments. That kind of gets sweet. Uh, the ultimate scene of the punk rock concert in the garage at the end, uh, not to uh, spoil anything, um, but there's a section where uh, the the couple, 
kind of seems to tune everyone else out. Was that in camera? Was it enhanced in the edit? What did you do to make them make the audience realize that nobody else mattered but the, the two of them? Yeah, and, and that kind of harkens back to how we meet Simon and Patty. We meet Simon and Patty in a shot reverse shot scenario. Like, I'm sorry, where where they meet each other, they meet in like a shot reverse shot scenario. So we, JP, the DP, and I, we mirrored that at the rock concert. Now that now that they sort of like have a different, they're in a different place in their relationship from when they first met. The, the shots are essentially the same. Uh, shot, uh, but now we feel different about them, and we uh, we did the it was an organic in camera effect. We dimmed the lights around them and sort of spotlighted them. Um, I think JP had some type of sun gun that he rode up slightly as it was mounted on the camera or behind the camera. Somebody possibly was holding it. I don't remember now, but um, we we dimmed down everything live around them so everything else just fell off into darkness and and they were just sort of like we made the moment all about them and it also kind of harkened to like uh 80s like punk flash photography stuff like that like kind of like you know concert types of uh shots and whatnot so aesthetically that's what we were going for but also just sort of to isolate them and to make the moment really about the two of them. And then when the, uh, not to give too much away, but the show gets disrupted and uh, the lights literally pop back on to normal um, as it's disrupted. So that moment was just for them. It's its own little sort of, uh, own little special moment. I love it. You, there was, you mentioned kind of um, that you bookended you know, or had a had a moment that was similar to an earlier moment. The other one that I remember, and and I only saw the film once, is uh, at a bus stop, right? That you reprise that at the end of the film. Um, Correct. Patty is so where we set Patty up early in the film is the same place that we end with her, and uh, that's actually it's funny because in the script uh, it was. I had imagined a different place altogether, like a different bus stop altogether. And it, and it didn't seem to, it's one of those oversights where it was like, I, it didn't seem to have any importance to me. Like what, what, what happened on the bus is really an important thing. And then she gets off the bus and she's a different person. But the fact that we did it and it was at her usual bus stop, was a lot more powerful when you get to the end of the film because we've been in this location three times total and and now she's totally a different person and and things couldn't be any more different from her at her usual stop so i think that was one of those happy accidents where it i i in fact i don't even think i thought about it until like the second or third pass of my edit and i was like oh wow it's way better that she <laughs> that she ends up at her at her regular bus stop here because she's grown so much from when we first seen her. Yeah, was that something pitched to you by a production designer or a location scout or? No, no, it 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 literally just fell into place because we we it, the working with the bus is a huge fucking pain in the ass. It's a disaster and probably my least favorite part of the film. Uh, 
working with animals, children, and buses, and anything car mounts are are, are pretty bad usually. So um, the kids, just because of the amount of time they have to be on, their ratio to on-screen performance with school and everything like that, it gets difficult. Animals are always a wild card. I've done a lot of stuff with animals over the years, and it's it's it could just break you, you know. Uh, but yeah, the bus, the bus, and the bus driver, and like all all the above on the bus stuff was like it was like very very frustrating two days. I never heard of buses being added to kids and animals before. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, they're all banned from from everything. I <laughs> I don't think I can. You mentioned that you aren't a very technical editor. What's your approach to a fresh scene? What do you use? Selects reels? How do you when you get that those dailies? What do you what do you do? For me too, just having everything synced and synced correctly was like kind of a tall order too. So I ended up having to do a lot of that myself. Um, and so for me, it's literally just translating. Like when I'm shooting, uh, I'm logging stuff as I shoot, like kind of mapping out the film uh, as I go. Like I. I did this film pretty much like um, it's a little bit looser than shot for shot, but JP and I designed like we spent five weeks breaking the film down shot for shot. And I sat with him and just discussed how I was going to cut it and what, what I was going to do. So there was a lot of, that went on the front end that said um, it was, uh, it was like an abstract, a little bit more of an abstract shot list. So um, not storyboarded. We weren't married in some locations, so it had to be like, literally, like saying things like, "Okay, we're going to start this scene off with a wide. They're coming through the door. They walk into the two shots, and it's shot reverse shot, uh, close up on the TV, and we're out. Like shit, like that. So um, I have a pretty clear idea of what I want to do. Um, it's only kind of in scenes where if I I don't get the full shot list, which was very rare in this film. Um, if I don't get the full shot list, that's the only time I start to really modify stuff on set. So approaching it editorially, I pretty much know and box myself in in production with how the edit's going to go. I, I, I know ahead of time what my options are. So there's not really any surprises for me. Um, surprises typically are uh running running things differently maybe you know maybe starting in a tight and then going to the y just just you know i i exhausted any options i had uh within a scene like even if i if it was something i didn't want to i experiment i experimented a lot um in this film like with just starting differently in a scene than I, I thought I would. But like a lot of it's just like literally shot for shot. There's like parts in there, like the whole bully beat down thing, that whole, that whole sequence is just a really good example of uh, every single shot that JP and I had discussed and the way that the shots connect with movement and like, you know, the sequence I'm speaking about when they, they get in the car and he's like, I drive fucking nuts. And he's driving, you know, like that whole, that whole thing. He, he throws his friend the pills and takes the car keys and the mini bat and the car peels out and, you know, they pull up to her house and that, that, 
all of that, like that two and a half, three minutes of stuff right there was just shot for shot the way we discussed and executed it. So up front. So that part was locked very early on in the movie because, and, and as far as the cut, because we had shot it just exactly what I wanted. Got it. And so then all you're trying to do is decide uh, performance on a take by take basis. Yeah. Or, or rhythmic. Yeah. Performance of course, but just also too um, rhythmically what makes the most sense too, or geographically JP found out right away that I really like the energy of a lot of the first takes and Oftentimes he'd bring in, you know, uh, another light or, or make some tweaks after it. And he was surprised at how many first takes I used in the film when, you know, things weren't quite set. But for me, it's just, it's more about flow and like energy and like rhythm. So um, I'm, I'm looking for the connective tissues, like a head tilt. I'm looking for matching action a lot of time and just like, making the, the cut feel really fluid. I'm really into that. So uh, I I really just try to make it as... For a film like that in America, too, I'm, I'm trying to make it almost responsive to the... Because there's like 65 cues in the film, I'm also trying to make it reactive to the, to the music a bit and like trying to do all of that as well. So... Uh, kind of emulating a mixtape or whatnot um, that you would you know, like a kind of like emulating like, like the style of like a mixtape, you know? Speaking of mixtapes, what is, uh, what are your muses? What are stuff that inspires you? And in, in our earlier talk, you talked about our, your 16 millimeter movie collection. I'm a big home recorder too. So, uh, you know, I like the 16 millimeter stuff, but I also like four tracking and, I've got a four track, 24 track. So I do a lot of home recording too, um, much like Simon in the movie. Um, that's kind of my background too, what I do for fun. So yeah, I mean, that, that, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in it's Friday night. Let's just sit down and record five or six songs. You know, that's kind of what I do to unwind sometimes. And, uh, it's, it's just like, it's just, I don't, I don't place a lot of, value or trying to do anything with um my music per se it's more just like that constantly making things like i always feel like a need to just constantly make things you know whether it's songs or movies or whatever like all sorts of different projects and interests but um i just enjoy the process like of, of doing it got it why uh did you edit on premiere well it was the first time i had I had Premiere 5.0 like 20-some years ago, and that's what I was cutting kind of like weird experimental videos and whatnot. Um, and over the years, like, you know, with between Photoshop, Illustrator, you know, Premiere, they're all apps that I really love. I did cut Final Cut for a few years, and I really enjoyed 7. Um, but I switched over to Premiere when... I started, I, I'm, I do a lot of heavy like documentary work and just working with multiple Kodaks all the time. I was doing a lot of stuff like with car racing and like stuff where replays and GoPros had to be on for like an hour. And it was just impossible with some of the deadlines that I had for stuff to 
you know, rendering files and stuff just so I could see it in the timeline was insane in Final Cut, whereas in Premiere, I didn't have to do any of that. I could work with multiple codecs in the same timeline, and it made my life a lot easier. And also, it had night mode, and I love the, that you can make everything dark and black in the timeline because it was like I do a lot of cutting at night. So um, it really, really helped. And um, it's, it's very intuitive. Like I've used it, Photoshop and Illustrator for many, many years. And they're all, you know, they all feel very intuitively similar to me. And I just appreciate that. So that's, that's why I've been blocking Premiere. Did you use any of the other Adobe suite for this project, the Dinner America? I did not. Like After Effects came into play with the, some, some of the other, um, like our visual effects and stuff. Uh, I personally don't use After Effects. Uh, I, I, everything lives when I'm working on the film, as far as like cutting it, everything, it all lives in Premiere and Premiere only. I don't use anything else. Adam, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Art of the Cuts Voices from Sundance podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. And be sure to check out my podcast of interviews with some of the world's top editors on my regular Art of the Cut podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Adam Raymeyer. I'm Steve Hullfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hullfish. Also, subscribe to this podcast and make sure to tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend. <laughs>